Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. You know, the church can actually be measured in its health by its monasticism. Monasticism is kind of a pulse check, a barometer, actually, of the spiritual health of a church. As St. John Paul II said in his wonderful document, Oriental Lumen, from which we get the name of our program, Light of the East, he said that monasticism is the reference point for all of the baptized. That's a very strong statement. But it is true. In recent years, in the Latin Rite Church, the Western Lung of the Church, we have witnessed a certain rise in monasticism. I suspect that many of you may be familiar with what is, I think, now pretty famous, the, <laughs> the Dominican Sisters in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and also Nashville, Tennessee. As they like to say, they have a different kind of vocation problem. They have so many vocations, they need more room. One of the reasons is, is because they have embraced their original charism. They have grown up in what is known as the John Paul II generation of young people, young, vibrant people on fire for the Lord. They have embraced the teachings of the church, and they have embraced a lot of things that have allowed them to be a very vibrant community, and they're enjoying a rather fine reputation in that regard. Well, there is what I consider to be a budding complement or answer to the Dominican sisters and orders like them, the Latin Rite, and that is our very own sisters at the Monastery of Christ the Bridegroom in Burton, Ohio. This is in my eparchy, the Eparchy of Parma. And so we're very happy today to have with us here in Light of the East a member of that monastery. We welcome to Light of the East Sister Gabriella. Sister Gabriella, glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Hi, Father Tom. Hello. Thanks for being on the program. So you are part of what's called Christ the Bridegroom Monastery. First of all, tell us a little bit about that name. Why has that name been chosen? Mother was re really felt called uh, to choose Christ the Bridegroom as our as our patron. She was just very attracted to the spousal imagery mm -hmm. and how we could live out as monastics this this incarnate relationship with Christ and and really be as John Paul says the reference point for the baptized because we're all called to that spousal union with Christ. And so the patron, or well, I guess <laughs> Christ is everyone's patron, but the um, the image of Christ the Bridegroom 
really embodies and reminds us daily laying down of our life in, in a spousal way, uh, which is a reference point and, a, and an image for the church. Now, you really have a sense of that, don't you? As you're a female, you're a young lady, young, vibrant lady, and you really have a sense of being mystically espoused to Christ. Is that true? Definitely. It's very much, it's hard to express, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's it's very much real, and it's very much a part of our everyday prayer and, and communion in prayer with Christ. Now, you mentioned Mother, Mother Theodora, the head of the monastery. Does she wear a, sometimes I see they actually wear wedding rings. Do they, does she or do you wear a wedding ring, like a, like a gold band? We do. We do wear a wedding ring, um, and actually I'll be getting one in a few weeks, God willing, uh, oh, in my life profession with Sister Cecilia, uh, and that is, is very much an image and, and a reference point for us of that of that spousal union with Christ. Tell us about, you mentioned about you'll be getting this, uh, in other words, there are different increments into the monastic life, in other words, like you're a novice and so on. Can you tell us what some of those are? Sure. So when you when you first start discerning, maybe you'll come on a on a visit to the monastery, and if it's a if it's a good fit for you and for the community, mother will invite you to become uh, an observer. So you would come for a period of at least three weeks, but no more than six, to stay uh, at the monastery, pray with the sisters, live at the monastery, and after that time, if the community feels feels that it's a good fit, and also you still feel it's a good fit, you would be invited to apply. To become a docomos or postulant would be the Western term. And so you, you become a postulant for a year to two years. And then at that point, there's an ongoing discernment where if the docomos feels called to, to further discern and mother also feels that is, is appropriate, then she would uh, write a letter requesting to become a, a rasifor nun, which rasifor means robe bearer uh, and denotes the specific pieces of the habit that you receive. And then you're tonsured or your, your hair is cut uh, at a special service uh, at Vespers, and you receive your monastic name as well as the habit and the, the riasa or robe that we wear for liturgy and for matins and Vespers, and then also the, the scufia, the hat that we wear. And then that period, it has to be at least three years canonically, but can be extended for a fourth year if there needs to be additional discernment. And then after at least three years, you can petition mother to make your life profession and become what's called a staver for nun be similar to final vows in a Roman Catholic community. And uh, stavro means cross, so we become a cross-bearer, and that also, again, denotes the pieces of the habit that we take on, specifically the, the paramondius, which has the cross, and it also has the implements of Christ's passion. And you receive that in a profession service where you're mystically espoused to Christ in a kind of a question-and-answer dialogue with the bishop. And then at that point, you would be a full full-fledged member of the monastery, and be fully professed. Well, that's uh, explained very well, Sister Gabrielle. Thank you very much. Listeners can see, once again, we have parallels in the east and western lungs of the Church, in this case, for monasticism. Uh, as Sister mentioned, there's certain words are used in the Latin rite, and then there are corresponding words in the eastern churches for some of these stages towards the, the full-blown monastic life. Now, Sister Gabrielle, what is your status now? I'm currently a Rasifor nun and hoping, God willing, to become a Stavrofor nun on November 8th. Oh, <laughs> well, we're going to pray for that. November 8th, that's a feast of St. Michael the Archangel in the Byzantine mm, Church. And all the Archangels. And all the Archangels. <laughs> yes, all the Archangels. You're going to call upon all of them for that day, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> for their strength and intercession and their protection. 
Sister, did the nuns at the monastery, you mentioned they wear what we would call, most people understand as using the phrase, a full habit. Now, do you stay at the monastery all the time? Do you go out sometimes? Are you allowed to go out or how much of that? Tell us a little bit about that that rhythm of your life. Sure. So it's kind of most communities that people are familiar with, like you were mentioning the National Dominicans, uh, Ann Arbor Dominicans, those are they're considered active contemplative, mm-hmm. but we as monastics in the West usually contemplative means cloistered. But as Eastern monastics, we are um, we're more similar in the sense we have that contemplative vocation of, of a monastic prayer life, but not the active portion of, of literally going out to do works like teaching and things like that on a regular basis. Our job is to draw people to the monastery, or a job. <laughs> Our vocation as monastics is to draw people to the monastery to pray with us the prayers of the church and also to receive hospitality just as you know as as Christ we would receive each person. But well, once again we see an example how in the east we're a little less uh, may I say compartmentalized. In other words we don't generally make a distinction between an active and contemplative. You in a sense you're both, aren't you sister in a certain way of speaking, right? You are you are contemplative, you draw people to you, to the monastery, but at the same time, you, you do things, you, you get out, you're very supportive of things that happen in the church, in the eparchy. So it's sort of a active and contemplative altogether, but maybe not in the exact same sense as we understand it in the Western traditions. Yes, correct. I, yeah, we definitely, we definitely participate in the life of our eparchy, and we attend life teen events and, and help out with retreats and host retreats. So we're definitely not living like a cloistered, set-apart life in the sense of um, that, that direct separation. But like you were saying, we kind of have the beauty of, of drawing people to that contemplative prayer life here. And then, but then also taking that out from time to time. You mentioned about hospitality. You open the monastery to visitors, even to men, right? For instance, priests, or people can come and make a uh, retreat there? Correct. We have a guest house, and specifically part of that guest house we use for, for Postinia, for desert retreat, for people who want to come and, and make a silent retreat for 24 or 36 hours or longer, just depending on the schedule. They can come to a bread and water fast, or or they can come and pray with us, or have complete silence. It kind of has a, a variety of ways that that can that can work. But yeah, we we especially open it to our our priests, our deacons, our seminarians, but even lay people who who feel that need to be drawn into silence and to reencounter Christ as their bridegroom. You mentioned the the word pustinia. Tell us a little bit about that word. What that means? Pustinia is a is a word that means desert. It means time kind of set away. Specifically, there's a there's a book by Catherine Doherty called Postinia that where she kind of outlines this. It's a Russian word that she kind of embodied in her ministry with Madonna House that she kind of outlined the spirituality of, of time that's set apart to pray alone with Christ and with scripture. But then that, that prayer is for, for the world and for the church to bring those intentions away into the desert and then to bring them back, the fruits of that to the world. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk more with our special guest, Sister Gabriella from the Byzantine Catholic Monastery of Christ the Bridegroom in Burton, Ohio. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, 
we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. are listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Seeds of Love Endure. Hitler and Stalin didn't. And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. During World War II, the Ukrainian Catholic Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky saved hundreds of Jews from Hitler's Holocaust. Kurt Lewin, the son of the murdered chief rabbi of Lviv, was one of them. In 1990, the Ukrainian Catholic Church emerged from 50 years of Stalinist and Soviet oppression. Lewin later wrote, The compass that guided me all these years was the memory of the encounter with Archbishop Sheptitsky and his brother Clement, two spiritual giants who by their example charted a course for many. The efforts of their lifetime seem to be destroyed at the end of their lives, but time has shown that the seeds they sowed resulted in a rich and rewarding harvest. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. And we have a special guest today, Sister Gabriela from the Byzantine Catholic Woman's Monastery of Christ the Bridegroom in Burton, Ohio. Before we get any further, Sister Gabriela, I just want to make a little shout out here to some friends that I met in Omaha, Nebraska recently. There's a little group of people there that are maybe wanting to form or possibly will be able to form a budding Byzantine community out there, perhaps even someday a parish. And they invited me out there to pray with them and give some talks and just meet with them. We just had a great, great time. They're headed up by Matt Wilkham from Spirit Catholic Radio out there in Omaha. And I want to thank Matt and everybody, Deacon Butterfield and the whole group of them that were so gracious to me out there. We had a lot of fun. So, Sister Gabrielle, why don't you keep, uh, since you do a lot of praying, <laughs> why don't you keep, uh, keep the Omaha group in your prayers? Because we don't know what might be happening out there, but it's something... Something pretty interesting right now. Uh, I was very energized by being around them last weekend, and I will be hopefully visiting them a lot more afterwards. We'll be hearing more out of them in the days and months to come. So keep them in your prayer, our little Byzantine Catholic community in Omaha, Nebraska. That's in the outskirts of our eparchy of Parma, by the way, which is 12 states. It takes in the 12 states of the Midwestern part of the United States. So Nebraska is way out there at the end of our boundaries of our eparchy. But back to Ohio, in fact, in Burton, Ohio, the Christ of Bridegroom Monastery, 
I just want to pick up a little bit on that Postinia. What I mentioned to people, and especially if there's any priests listening, it's a wonderful place. In fact, it's kind of designed, especially for priests in mind, isn't it? Where priests can come and have a little getaway and the silence, the desert experience. In fact, I had a pressure recently that visited your monastery. And as people do today, he had his phone and he took pictures, kind of a video of the, the Postinia that he stayed in. And he mm. gave a little running commentary about it too. And boy, it was very impressive. It was, it was impressive in its, in its beauty, its quaintness, and yet its simplicity. But you had everything there. Everything there was, the, it was very, very hospitable. It, it, it appeared very, very hospitable. <laughs> and uh, I was very impressed. And, and so was he. So I have to commend you on that. And also let the listeners know that it's a wonderful place to come and to have that desert experience, that, that getaway where it's really a very special kind of space that we make in our hearts and even physically for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, speaking of space, you are in a special place out there, Sister Gabrielle. You are not just a monastery just by yourself, but you're actually on the property of a shrine. Tell us a little bit about the shrine. Mm-hmm. Sure. So across the street from the monastery is 47, 50-acre shrine to Our Lady of Maria Poch, which is an icon of Our Lady that wept in what was Poch Hungary and was renamed to Maria Poch after the icon wept. A long history. It started in the mid-17th century, and there were a number of times that the icon wept. And oftentimes those, those weepings had to do with persecution of the Hungarian people. And so we have, our shrine is, is dedicated to, and, and kind of a, a replica of the shrine that, that exists in Maria Poch, Hungary. And we celebrate usually every Dormition or Assumption, we have a pilgrimage to the shrine that we attend and help with to encourage people in remembrance of Our Lady of Maria Poch and then also in prayer for our eparchy. And there's another dimension of significance, of real relevancy to that shrine and the fact that it is named after Our Lady of Maria Poch. In the 17th century, there was a, a battle between the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Christian armies, and the incursion of Islamic armies that once again tried to overtake Christian Europe. And the battle was won by the Christian armies, and the people of Europe attributed the victory, a miraculous victory, to the intercession, the devotion of Our Lady of Maria Poch, of that icon, its miraculous powers. And so the shrine that you are at right now, where your monastery is at, I think has a special significance because of that history. It is a place that I would encourage people to make a pilgrimage to, not only to visit the sisters at the Christ of Bridegroom Monastery, but also to pray for the cause of peace with Islam and Christianity. And, and eventually, of course, their conversion, that all might be one in Christ, as Christ so desired. So it'd be a special place, I think, and I I think our prayers would have a special weightiness to them or significance because they're happening at that particular place with that particular icon under that particular patroness of Our Lady of Maripoche because of its significance in that that tension between Islam and Christianity. So I highly recommend people to, to go out there. It is in Burton, Ohio. And by the way, to get in touch with the sisters at Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, their website is ChristTheBridegroom.org. Is that correct, sister? ChristTheBridegroom.org? Sure. Mm-hmm. It's in Burton, Ohio. Their phone number is 440-834-0290. 440-834-0290. That's ChristTheBridegroom.org, a monastery in Burton, Ohio. And that happens to be in a beautiful area. It's a rural area, and it's Amish country, isn't it, sister? Mm-hmm. Yep, we're in Amish country. <laughs> you do some things with the Amish? No, not too much. 
we uh, we wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're friendly. We're friendly with them, but it's always fun to visit there because there's always a horse and buggy going up and down the street anytime. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you wave yep. to them, they wave back. Okay, now what about your daily life there? You you are women above all of prayer, and tell us about your daily life. What is it like? So our our day is really centered, like you were saying, around prayer. We spend at least four hours a day in the chapel in communal prayer. And then we each take an hour a day of personal prayer in our rooms and ourselves. So we start the day usually around 6. From 6 to 8, we pray matins, which is the morning prayer of the church, followed by the first or third hour. And then we take time for that, like I said, that hour of personal prayer and exercise uh, and breakfast and whatnot. And then we get together around 10 o'clock for a short house meeting um, have some work time in the morning, and then we come back together again for prayer at noon, pray the, the sixth and the ninth hour, have lunch, and then have a work period in the afternoon till about four, and then um, we're supposed to take some free time for personal things that we need to do. Uh, 4.45 is when we start Vespers. Um, we start, and I neglected to mention, at the beginning of Matins and at Vespers, we pray 15 minutes of the Jesus Prayer together, which, if you're unfamiliar with the Jesus Prayer, it's Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so we pray that in silence, but as a community, before we start Matins and Vespers. And so we do that 4.45 to 5, and then at 5 we start Vespers, evening prayer. And then after Vespers, we'll have dinner around 6, 6.30. Clean up from that and have either recreation or studies or, or whatever whatever the needs of the community are for the evening. And then we end our evening at 9 o'clock with night prayer, which is Compline. And takes about a half an hour, and then retire for the evening, and and keep silence from from after Compline until the next morning. Well, that's a lot of prayer, a lot of time in church for one day. Are you able to get anything done? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> we're able to get done what God allows us. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing because even in the best laid plans, there's always the daily hospitality and the people who come to the door and to to let go of our of our daily list and allow God to really plan that as much as we allow him to plan it through our, our daily prayer. Yes, very good response, sister. I was kind of tongue-in-cheek because doing your prayer is getting what is most important done, right? Mm. <laughs> and, and, Amen. And it does allow for all kinds of other beautiful things that you do here. You have a very nice brochure. In fact, I'm holding it in my incense-stained fingers. This brochure from the Christ the Bridegroom Monastery uh, is very informative. It's a very nicely laid out, very nice uh, brochure. And in fact, just to read a little bit of, of it from, from the brochure, mm-hmm. it talks about your history. In January of 2008, Bishop John Kudrick outlined his vision for the foundation of a monastery in the Eparchy of Parma. This was a response to Pope John Paul II's call for the revitalization of Eastern monasticism in the United States in the Pope's apostolic letter, Oriental Lumen, Light of the East. We responded to that call. We were blessed with a house and property in Burton, Ohio, as a gift from the Social Mission Sisters who formerly resided there. And in the process of renovations undertaken with the help of many volunteers, we moved in on April 3, 2009. On March 29, 2010, Bishop John received our community into the eparchy. We continued to work towards full canonical establishment as a monastery. So interesting history, a recent history, and you're still in process, right, sister? Mm-hmm. Yes, most definitely. <laughs> and in fact, already you've undergone some expansion yourself, haven't you? Yes, we just completed part of a renovation project, turned our what was our chapel into a back into a bedroom and an office, and then we're using a chapel across the street from our monastery to pray in. 
And then we also, we took our house from having five bedrooms. Now we have eight bedrooms. And then God willing, in the future, we have space and we're just seeking funds in order to finish so we can have up to 11 or 12 bedrooms. Well, I want to tell you, sister, and you can pass this on to the Mother Theodore and all the nuns there, that the young man who visited did a Pustinia at your monastery. Mm-hmm. He is from my parish. He came back. He was just absolutely all aglow from his experience at your monastery. In fact, mm-hmm. and he's a married man with a family. He loves his wife and child very much. But he's told me, he says, you know, Father, I could have stayed there forever. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And he's, he told me a very touching story. He said one of your sisters, in fact, one of your, your more recent ones, handmade a prayer rope for him, the Jesus prayer rope, which we call chatki, of course. And she did it just for him. And as she made the rope, which is made of knots, individual knots from one thread, she did a prayer for his discernment on each one of those knots as she made them. And she gave him that prayer rope. And he came back and he was so proud of that. He was like a little kid on Christmas morning. (laughs) (laughs) So you can pass that on to all the sisters there. And I want to Say to them, thank you for allowing you to take some time away from prayer and so on to be with us here in Light of the East. And we'll be praying for all of you as you pray for us, sister. And again, it's Christ the Bridegroom Monastery, certainly a place to visit. Go to ChristTheBridegroom.org, ChristTheBridegroom.org. Thank you very much, Sister Gabriella. Thanks right, for thank you, this. Father. God bless, and thank God you for bless. listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Willcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!